Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Happy Resurrection Day. Going through my mind and my thoughts, and I tell you what, this message, it just was, I'm doing so much in my life that Thursday was coming and I still didn't have a message started. So I'm like, all right, Lord, this has got to be you because I am so behind with this. And this is a very important message, uh, has a lot of meaning to it. And I uh, started getting going, but it was kind of interesting because if you were here on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we had Hannah Neal Ministries do Messiah and the Passover. Incidentally, Jesus uh, celebrated his Passover dinner with his disciples uh, before he was arrested and taken to be crucified. Uh, so, and, and I'm watching this man about 15 or so years my senior, and I just was so blessed by him. I never met him before, and I'm watching him go through all the symbolism of Passover and how Jesus, the Messiah, is all throughout the Passover. And I just, I just was so excited because he had such a great fire for the Lord. And uh, I just was thinking too. You know, and I just do a lot of thinking, a lot of observing. Over the past 15 years, I've done the same message, or not the same message, but on the same event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm almost tempted sometimes to say, well, how do I make it fresh? You know, they, every year it's the same message. But then I thought to myself, and I don't do it anymore, because I said to myself, that's not my role. If you know the risen Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a fire in your heart. It's not that we come up here and we have to psych ourselves up to get excited. It is exciting. It's the most important event bar none in human history. This is the way God decided to redeem humankind. And it's fair for everyone because all you have to do is believe and trust. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal, eternal life. And that is excited. And when you've really grasped that, and not just become a cultural Christian, but grasp that concept, you can't help but be excited. So I could do this another 15 years if the Lord gives me that time. Uh, I'm still going to be excited as, as when I actually I was excited. The first time I did it as a new pastor, I was terrified. I was nervous. You know, like, Lord, help me not to mess this up. But uh, it, it just really is a blessing. I mean, it's incredible. And this is why every year, if you followed the news and the things that go on the, the few weeks before Resurrection Sunday, it's almost like a, a perfect choreography of the detractors of Christ that come out of the woodwork. And it's always perfect timing. Uh, whether it's the, I remember when the Da Vinci Code came out, everybody was like panicking. Like the guy said it was fiction. And he's like, well, it's not really fiction. It's kind of based on truth. But if you go to some of the history books, his history was way flawed, including the vote of the Council of Nicaea. Uh, the James Ossuary came out. The Karen King postage stamp uh, size, supposedly archaeological find of Coptic writing that said that Jesus had a wife. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so the little postage stamp, we have uh, 25,000 manuscripts about the truth of Christ in all different languages, but she comes up with this postage stamp thing that she supposedly found, and that's going to blow the doors off of Christianity. Oh, they've been trying to do that for 2,000 years, and, and, and they fell flat on their face. 
Um, you look at, and, and the question is asked, why would somebody try to destroy something that was a myth, a fairy tale? You don't see people coming out every year saying, we're going to try to prove that the Easter bunny isn't real. And uh, <laughs> I hope I didn't ruin that for anybody. You, you, can, you can rebuke me later if you like. But the world system has their idea of utopia. And God has his idea of utopia. And God's idea always works. Right? You study human history, you find all these societies, even secret societies that have tried to rise up and make a utopia on earth, and it never works because they're run by sinful human flesh. Why is it so important to investigate if you're a seeker or you're curious or you're not really sold or you grew up in the Christian culture? Why is it so important to investigate the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19, the Apostle Paul. Just to give you a little background on the Apostle Paul, credentials, he was a Pharisee, he was of a high religious order. Um, Oftentimes they were wealthy, they were popular. He studied under Gamaliel. You can go to your secular history and find Gamaliel, you know, just like those mentioned in the Bible, Gamaliel, secular sources tell us, yes, he existed. He was a very popular rabbi. Uh, uh, Paul studied under him. He was brilliant. He was going places. He was probably wealthy. He was the who's who in society, and he throws it all away because he became a Christian. And you got to ask yourself, why would somebody do that unless there was more to it? So the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, to some who were struggling with their faith and struggling with a lot of things in 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 15. We're starting with uh, 1 Corinthians, my bad, 15, starting with verse 12. Sorry, I've got you flipping back and forth. That's just to see if you awake this morning, all right? So verse 12, he says, the, the Corinth church had all kinds of problems. This is just one that he had to address. He said, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, he follows logic here, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and stupid, and your faith is also in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses. Not only that, we're also liars up here preaching about something that's not true. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. Follow the logic here. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Bad news. He continues, then also those who have fallen asleep, which was euphemistic for those who have died in Christ, have perished. If, if, conditional statement, in this life only We have hope in Christ. We are of all men the most pitiable. So he goes through a logic. The Apostle Paul goes through a lot of different things to win people over. I just have to kind of throw this anecdote in. I can't help but laugh. Um, How many of you have heard of the famous atheist who's died? Uh, His name is Christopher Hitchens. Not that many people. I follow a lot of this stuff, you know. He, I'm, he is, he was my favorite atheist. I think he was English. He was kind of snarky. And I just like listening to the guy. And you say, how could, you're a pastor. How could you like this? Let me tell you something. When he died, uh, first of all, there was a whole bunch of pastors at his funeral. I think he got saved before he died. He knew he was sick and uh, he started befriending a lot of pastors. But check this out. The guy, 
he, there's a Unitarian minister. Her name is Marilyn Sewell, and I have the transcripts. She's interviewing the atheist Christopher Hitchens. Watch how the tables are turned here. And she's saying to him, trying to get on his good side and saying, I don't really believe in the atonement either. Let me, let me tell you how he responds. I'll try to do it in his voice. Well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. That was an atheist speaking to a supposed minister. Think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. This atheist knew so much about the Bible and and Christ that he's correcting this minister who's wrong on her doctrine. So the attacks can come from inside as well as from outside. Interesting. The Apostle Paul had a direct experience with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And we see this in Acts chapter 9. Now, so have many others. And uh, listen, I'm putting a lot of stuff in here, okay? It's like a a nice dinner. I got a little mashed potatoes. I got some green beans. Got some ham for you in in today's message. I'm getting you. So don't run out of here. I know I'm getting hungry too, talking about it. But (laughs) there are men and women who try to disprove Christ and the resurrection and have become Christians. I'll give you another one. Stan Telchin, he's gone to be with the Lord. I have his book. His daughter goes out to college, comes home one weekend and says, Dad, now they're a Jewish family. She goes, Dad, I've become a Christian. He goes, oh, no, you haven't. So he goes, I'm going to disprove this Jesus thing once and for all. He goes on this quest. He writes a book about it. And he becomes a Christian himself. The, the evidence is there, folks. You can look at secular books and find the evidence for Christ and his deity and the works that he performed. Gary Parker. Now, you, you, can, you can listen to my message again. I love skeptics. I love debate. Write it down when you go home, <laughs> before you eat. Just look it up. See if I'm telling you the truth. Gary Parker, a doctorate in biology and geology, staunch believer in evolution, tries to disprove Christianity, becomes a Christian. I'm not done. Lee Strobel, Yale University, has a degree in journalism, law and journalism. His wife one day comes home and says, honey, I become a Christian. He goes, no, you haven't. He goes on this quest. He's also a journalist. He's a reporter to disprove Christ. And he goes through every nook and cranny, comes back and says he becomes a Christian. Writes a book called The Case for Christ. Now, I'm not as smart as these men, but I went to Rutgers, right? Math, science, enjoyed it. Uh, Thank God for Rutgers University. Four-year degree. And I used a lot of the... I still have some of my old textbooks from 30 years ago. Now, it's funny. Science books are outdated. Why? Because science changes. Nobody would use that in Rutgers today. It's, it's, it's it's, it's, It's a little bit of a dig there, but... The point is that I used my education in science and math to bolster my belief in Christ. Now, I got to ask some of you who are, any of you who are in Rutgers if they still have these courses, but one of the courses was probabilities and statistics. And they say the probability of something happening is one times, uh, one in 10 to the, and then the exponent is the amount of zeros after the number. The higher the exponent goes, some of you say, man, you're doing math to me on Sunday morning. This is wrong. The higher the exponent goes, the probability and the plausibility decreases almost to the point of zero, of zero depending on how many zeros you have after the number. You see what I'm saying? Uh, logic, reasoning, and persuasion. The Apostle Paul uses this time-tried uh, debate tactic that the colleges are teaching today. Fascinating. Why is the resurrection so important? Because Jesus said he made incredible claims of deity. 
And he also said that he was going to die for our sins. And the seal of authenticity of what he did was the fact that he said, I will rise again in three days. Very important, because if he didn't do it, we can't believe him and he's a liar. So let's go through uh, Luke 24. We're going to go through some scripture this morning. And see that people think, oh, these Christians, they have these, you know, fanciful thoughts, this fairy tale thing of Jesus rising from the dead. A lot of people don't know that Jesus spent a whole 40 days on the earth after his resurrection to shore up the believers because of the coming storm with the Roman Empire. This is before he was ascended. You got to think about that for a minute. A lot of religions and even cults flourish in fertile ground. Christianity was birthed out of very dry and hostile ground. And I have to say this, and I I question whether I should say this from the pulpit, but Sri Lankan Christians, you know, they were murdered. Was it this morning? Um, Again, the the news reports are still coming in. Hundreds of them. Churches were bombed. Our brothers and sisters that we'll see in heaven. Do you think Christianity is going to be snuffed out in Sri Lanka? Nope. Not a chance. Wasn't snuffed out in the Roman Empire. It's not snuffed out in North, North Korea. It's not snuffed out in Iran and some of these oppressive regimes because of their experience with the risen Christ. So let me jump in here in Luke 24, starting with verse 13. This is one of the many things that the Lord did after he rose from the dead. It says, Now behold, two of them, two of the Lord's followers, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, meaning what happened with Jesus and his his crucifixion. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Remember, he's in his post-resurrection form. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Now, remember, lies and fairy tales are are very purposely choreographed. You see human beings who are struggling with this concept. The angels, and they they talked about a vision, the women, but we're we're not sure we believe it. There's a lot of disbelief here, and it really shows. It's a reflection of human nature and the frailty of us and why God had to come to redeem us. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. Then he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. But they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So a lot of things are going on here. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen six that Jesus appeared to 500 at once. He appeared to the women, he appeared to the men, he appeared to different groups of people, he appeared on the road to Emmaus. Um, 500 at once could have been on the beach, it could have been in a grassy area, we don't know the details, but he's starting to appear to people in his resurrected form. He was in Jerusalem, he's in Galilee, he's en route to Emmaus, he's very busy. Not only is he trying to get the message of salvation out, but what he's trying to do is strengthen these Christians. Strengthen the Christians who are going to feel the entire weight of the entire Roman government bearing down on them, not far from this time. So the selection of scripture I chose is just one part of what Jesus was doing 40 days on the earth. You know, I was in a religion for many years, and then I gave my heart to Christ, and I started reading the Bible, and there were so many things. I'm like, man, I got ripped off. They didn't teach me this stuff. The religion was basically a lot of different rites and rituals, but not real much of the scripture. And I didn't even know, I supposedly was a Christian for all these years, I didn't even know that Jesus spent a whole 40 days on the earth after he was resurrected. And I couldn't get enough reading, 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 absorbing it. But let's start with the first few verses. 13 through 17. Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, he's appearing to many. The Lord, fully God and fully man, he senses the sadness in these two men on this road. Of course, he's God. He knows our inner feelings. And that's the beautiful thing about God. As I go through the scripture with you, we have to make a parallel to our relationship with the Lord. Because the Lord would do no less for us than he did to them. It really depends on how close we are. Think about that for a minute. So the relational God, not traditions, not, you know, bunny rolls and Easter egg hunts and all that. We're talking about a real relationship with the resurrected Christ. He knows our feelings. He knows our frailties. And what does he do? He starts asking them questions. Does he know the answer? Of course he does. He's God. However, remember I talked about debate and, and the universities and the class that I took? In the same sense, those who are therapists... Right, who go to school today to learn behavioral therapy and those types of things. A good therapist or counselor will pull information out of the person who's come to them. They ask questions, right? Because it's just the way the human psyche works. We start to bring things up and they're cues to, to help us to bring things up that maybe we're, we didn't know were in there. So Jesus starts to ask them questions. Continuing on verse 18, here's the second block. One whose name was Cleopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Like, this is so big. How could you ask us this question? How could you know, not know what just happened in Jerusalem? Everybody knows about this. History books were written about this. Secular history. And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, it was our hope, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, this conquering Messiah idea. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. 
They did not find the body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And this goes back to other scriptures where uh, Peter and John run to the tomb. Right? Peter denied him when when they were leading him away and, and going through these trials with him. Peter got scared. But when he heard that Jesus was came back from the dead, he just took off. Him and John raced to the tomb to see what the women, because the women were the first one that he appeared to. So, again, human nature we see in this. This this concept, you know, it's 2,000 years since, since Christ and, yeah, the resurrection. We, we know everything about the resurrection as believers because we've been studying it for 2,000 years. But to them, it was a new concept. They only knew when somebody dies and when we see somebody die and they lose all all their blood and they're buried that they don't come back. So Christ's own followers had to be shored up. And you know what I love about this is that there's hope for me. I love to see the imperfections in the people that God used. I would not be up here if when I read the Bible, I thought that God only used perfect people. I would have never stepped into this arena. I love the fact that he shows us their imperfections and their frailties. You know, Jesus had instructions for his followers. He had post-resurrection instructions, and they weren't going with the program. They weren't following it. They went back to what they were doing because they saw him die. They heard about him die. They took him down from from the cross, and they figured out it's all over. Other messiahs had come and gone. They didn't come back from the dead, but Jesus did. Verse 25 It says, then Jesus responds. He says to them, it's kind of cute. And I I almost wonder if he said it with a smirk. He says, oh, foolish ones. He didn't say, oh, you idiots. That's not how God treats us. He said to them, you could just see him go, oh, foolish ones. You know, this is before I was crucified. You guys were slow to get it. Now I'm I'm resurrected. You're still not getting it. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Every prophet spoke about Jesus, by the way. Every prophet ought not the Christ who have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, he's the word of God. He doesn't need a book. It's all in here, right? He wrote it through the Holy Spirit. The prophets wrote it down. And what happens is he expounds to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus lovingly rebukes them for their foolishness and unbelief and points back to the word of God. Now, in any church, we're always going to be fighting against the decadent culture. And in American culture, it's no different. Today, many want to be coddled. They want their egos stroked um, through life's ups and downs. And they even want that in the church. And when they come to a church and they don't hear what they want to hear, they'll just not come back. Because, you know, all their friends in social media and Snapchat think they're wonderful. They have their own little kingdoms. So what happens is when you come to a church and you actually see reality, you hear reality, not self-feeding narcissism. When someone really loves us or we really love someone, we are going to sit them down at times and tell them difficult things. And God loves us so much that sometimes he has to tell us difficult things. And this is what he was doing here. Even Job said to his wife, and Pastor Paul's going through that on Wednesday nights, he said to his wife when they were going through trouble, he said to his wife, shall we accept good things from God and not trouble? 
You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Life in this, in this realm, before the Lord perfects it, is filled with good things and bad things. It's filled, filled with difficulties. It's, it's filled with us hitting bumps in the road, falling into pits at times. And that's the human condition. But that's not going to be forever. So if we really have a true relationship with the living God, at times, he's going to correct us. Verse 27, Jesus recites the Old Testament scripture to them about himself, the Messiah. And what's important about this is that Jesus is telling them to take God's word in totality. Yes, there were scriptures about the conquering Messiah, but that was not yet. That's a future occurrence. The Lord came first to redeem us from our sins. The second time it's to redeem physical creation. There's a lot of order in the scripture. We also find that our answers are in God's word. What does Jesus do? He takes them right back to the scripture. That's where the answers are found. Verse 28, last few verses. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. So they're, the two guys, they're on this road. Jesus, I don't know, maybe you thought he came out of the bushes or something, but he appears to them. They're having a discussion. They eat dinner, and then he moves on because he's got a lot of work to do. Verse 28 says, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Even though they didn't know it was Jesus, they knew there was something very special about him. When you have a relationship with God, you know it. When you have an experience with God, you know it. Now it came to pass... As he sat at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. Oh, it's you. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture? So the Lord rebukes them. You you have to see the patterns in the scripture. But he eats with them, he fellowships with them, and he reassures them, and he moves on to do his other work. What I love about this is that we can be rebuked or disciplined by the Lord, but he he loves us nonetheless. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 12 tells us that his children, us, if we're truly his children, sometimes he will discipline us because he loves us. He wants us to be better. He's a good parent. What I also love about this is you know, today, even in, in ministries, it's all about numbers. And some of these ministries, it's how many, they count heads, how much, you know, people came to this one event. But here, there were just two men walking on the road, and Jesus had time for them. Folks, he's got time for you and me as well. Again, you know, he's, he's not a parent that has placed favorites. If you are his, he has time for you. And I love that. I want to encourage you with that. And there's times that I've been in the car. I do my best praying in the car if I'm driving by myself, especially taking a long trip. I have plenty of time to talk. Before Bluetooth, people would look at me and think I was nuts. But now with Bluetooth, they might just think I'm talking to the Bluetooth thing. Um, So I can just go on and on and on, and people could look at me, and it doesn't matter. And the Lord hears my ramblings. He hears every word that I say. And I'm encouraged by that. (laughs) And sometimes I'll go at the end of it. "Ah, That felt good. (laughs) So we continue. Verse 32. Now be careful with this. They didn't say that after eating and spending time with Jesus, they had heartburn. (laughs) But they said, didn't our hearts 
burn. <laughs> Punctuation and grammar is very important. goes back to my opening. Do you have that burning in your heart for the Lord this morning? What is this morning about? Listen, my wife's cooking a killer meal, and I can't wait to eat it. But I understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brings us together this morning. It's because our Savior rose from the dead. He's not in the tomb anymore. They had the fire of the Lord. They had the joy of the Lord. It goes back to my opening of that gentleman who I I met for the first time, and he just, he's on fire. He's sharing all the symbolism of the Messiah in the Passover celebration, and God did that on purpose. If you have a relationship with the resurrected Christ, you have fire. Listen, every (laughs) two times a year, um, there are those that come to the church that are skeptics. I love skeptics. They're seekers. They're not completely sold. There might be cultural Christians. And they're looking for something that they can hold on to. Or they're looking for something to challenge them and do the research on it. So I'm putting a lot of information, a lot of history in here. And you, you guys, my regulars know why I do this. There's no question that Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus of the Bible, existed. Roman historians and government officials spoke of him. Whether we're talking about Cornelius Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, Pontius Pilate, who was a real person, Pliny the Younger, or Gaius Suetonius, all spoke about Christians and Christianity. Jewish historians, Flavius Josephus, who later worked for the Romans, spoke about Jesus. You You know what's a compliment to the Lord Jesus? Is that the ones who didn't understand Christianity would say he did magic, he did things, and they couldn't, they didn't understand it was from God because they didn't, they weren't close enough to follow his teachings and and put away their worldliness. But you see the language that these Roman historians use and the Jewish historians, and it's to them, they can't get it, but something supernatural happened and they can't put their finger on it. That's a contrivance. That's, they know it happened. They just don't understand why, because they're not his followers, right? The Talmud spoke about him. 2019 is loosely based on his life, right? Why do we celebrate or why do we calendar our years the way we do? I'm going to tell you this as well. If you read some of these, you know, Hadrian, the emperor, spoke about the Christians. Nero spoke about the Christians, not favorably. They actually were wondering why, with all the weight of the Roman government, that they couldn't exterminate the Christians. Read some of their writings. They, didn't, they couldn't get it. We, we have power. We're dragging them from their homes. We're separating them from their children. Folks, this is going on across the seas. We, if you live in the American bubble, we, I love the freedoms. I'm very patriotic. I served my country for 25 years. But we sometimes take the good for granted. And then we read about a Sri Lanka. We read about some of these things where just because they're Christians, their churches, why would you do that? They're not bothering anybody because there's a spiritual element to it. So it wasn't just the Roman Empire. Tertullian wrote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You think Roman Empire, this was during the Roman Empire, you keep slaughtering these Christians, you keep sending them into the, into the uh, uh, Colosseum, thank you happens sometimes. You can't get rid of them. Their blood is the seed of the, they're still going to keep popping up. You're not going to get rid of them. You know that the Christians outlasted the Roman government. Isn't that, how could that be? The Pax Romana, right? Rome forever. 
Many religions, like I said, come out of uh, favorable conditions. Christianity came out of dry ground, very unfavorable conditions. Now, for those of you who are seekers and skeptics, you're going to tell me, and you might, about some of the things that happened under so-called Christianity. I'm going to tell you that that's not true Christianity. Uh, A church that has ultimate control and does horrific things, that's an aberration. Read the Bible. You want to find true Christianity? Read this. And then you can make a better, you know, judgment or a better investigation on that. Did you know that there were other messianic movements? Judas of Galilee around that time? Anybody know of any Judas of Galilee followers? I don't. Any Thutis followers? Bar Kokhba, 132 AD. Look it up in your history books. I'm the Messiah. Thousands of people followed him. The Romans put them all down, killed Bar Kokhba. Do you see any Bar Kokhba holidays anywhere? I don't. Bar Kokhba's dead as a doornail. Okay, he's, he's done. When they took him out, everybody else scattered. But Christianity survived. My goal this morning is threefold. To get the seeker and the skeptic to investigate the claims of deity made by Jesus. To investigate the resurrections. Just like these, uh, those that I spoke about in the beginning who were hell-bent on destroying it and became Christians themselves. Your eternal security depends on it. Second goal is to get lukewarm Christians or Christians who have lost their fire to get their fire stoked again. You know, when, when it's, it's like the, the adage if you know, you're, you're, you're cold towards the Lord or the, you know, it, it, the relationship isn't right or you feel a distance, who moved? We did. Christ, God, is always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible tells us in many portions of Scripture. He is that, like the North Star. He is the the fixed object that we can look to and always come closer to. So I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know. I, I don't know how it got cold. I don't know what happened, but consider the Lord. Consider rededicating your life to him. Most of all, is to worship Jesus as God, to celebrate the fact that he died for our sins and he rose again on the third day in fulfillment of his promises in the scripture so that we can be promised eternal life. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.